the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Will there be guitars in heaven? Well, I don't know about that, but Psalm 33 tells us that we are going to praise the Lord with a harp, with a psaltery, and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Well, welcome to Exploring the Word. We're in Psalm 33 today. Bert Harper, Alex McFarland, and we're so glad that you all are listening, and we're going to be in the Psalms for a little bit. And uh, Bert, as we read these, there, there are Messianic Psalms. There are Psalms that talk about God's victory over a fallen, uh, darkened world. But there's so much about praising God and about the, the honor and worship due his name. And I love verse 4, and we're going to recap here in a minute. But it says, the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. That's for sure, isn't it? It is. And Psalm 23 is just filled with worship. Uh, and it seems like it was a collective worship as it ends and I'm looking at the last. Uh, some psalms or in some verses, uh, you read it straight through, but when you start studying it sometimes, you go to the last to see, okay, what is this getting to? And then you go back and study it again. Now listen to this, verses 20, 21, and 23. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Now, Alex, this is the conclusion. After the psalmist goes through about praising him, as you said, with the instruments and with the songs, after you read this word about how he loves justice, our soul waits for the Lord. Alex, uh, this was, I would say, a psalm of expectation but it's also a psalm, a psalm of, of anticipation, of exaltation. And uh, I find this psalm just something that is encouraging. And, and that's one of the reasons I think we're doing it today is because we're living in a time when really so many are discouraged. So, Alex, I want to ask you this question. When is praise not appropriate unto the Lord? Oh, my goodness. Praise is always appropriate. <laughs> Even in bad circumstances, Even right? That, in, in fact, I would argue when you're down and you're in a tough time, that is the, the, the most urgent time to praise God and just to lean into him and trust him all the more. And, and it really does lift you up. I, I want to say this. Um, all of us can get down. None of us is immune to discouragement, right? But when you praise God, invariably, at least this is my experience, Burke, It'll boost you up. It will lift you up. And and praise is a choice. I mean, really. You know, the eternal God, ever faithful, ever loving, God has your situation under control, even though at the moment, in the noise of the storm, it might not seem like it. But you know what? Uh, all of us, if you can get through the dark night of a storm and you realize in the morning, you know what? God, God helped me make it. Um, Praising him is the first step to avoiding discouragement and depression, really. 
uh, the first step towards a solution to your problem is turning to God. Uh, now, Bert, um, it's interesting. Tell me if you don't agree with this. When I read the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, the, I think the key to understanding the Old Covenant is to read it in light of the New Covenant. I, I mean, don't so much of the Old Testament, doesn't it just become clear and make sense when you look at it in light of Jesus and, and all that we on, on this side of Calvary, we know so much more that, than the Old Testament saints could have comprehended. I agree with you fully. And really, as we look back now on the Old Testament from the New Testament coming to us and the Holy Spirit being in us, we look back on Psalm 33. We not only see the completion of what Christ would, uh, God would do through Christ, but we also see where they were even in that day. I find verse 3 one of the a, a great verse, and you've already read it, but I, I want to restate it. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy is what it says in, in the New King James. Now listen to this. The word, quote, the words a new song appears nine times, and seven of them or, or six of them are, are in the Psalms. Two of them are in the book of Revelation. So, Alex, a new song. Now, it's not necessarily talking about one that is written new. It could be one that is renewed. Uh, one of the things that I love about the worship that uh, many churches are doing, they're taking some of the older hymns that are just so profound and so strong, and, and they're putting a little bit of twist in the music to make it new and fresh, and it's like uh, the new generation is, is receiving it. Uh, you know, there's this one, of, I want to give an example of that, and there's, there's many, but there's this old song, and it has probably the best hymn ever written about Christology. It's called One Day. One day when heaven was filled with its mercy, it goes through the whole thing of Christ coming. And then, uh, I think it was Mark Hall with Casting Crowns. I could be wrong about that, but he took that song, and he, he used many of the same uh, words, but he, he, added, he added a little bit with the bridges, and it came alive well. And so a new song is one that may be older, but it's even realized a newness and freshness in our day. And mm -hmm. that's not just true about a song. Look at verse 4, for the word of the Lord is right. It's not just a song, but it's the word of the Lord. And, and so, Alex, as we renew our hearts day by day, guess what it does with our so song of praise, our shout of joy, and our study of God's word? It renews it as well. Amen. Amen. You know, I got to say this. And by the way, folks, we are in Psalm 33, Psalm 33, just uh, 22 short verses in the Old Testament. But you mentioned uh, that song one day when heaven was filled with his praises. Very famous chorus. I know you know this, folks. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Do you remember that chorus? Yes, Bert? I do. I do. You, do you remember who wrote that song? I don't. Very, no. Very famous evangelist, J. Wilbur Chapman. Oh, wow, yes. Uh, you, I know you've heard that name. Yes, I know of um, him. Or maybe it was Wilbur J. or J. Wilbur, but Chapman was a, a famous evangelist probably 100 years ago. But let me read a little bit of this. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise 
is comely or appropriate for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp, psaltery, instrument of ten strings. I like that. Sounds like a guitar, maybe. (laughs) Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Turn up the volume (laughs) on the praise songs, you know. For the word of the Lord is right. All his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? It is. Verse Verse (laughs) 5. Let me make a comment. Remember where you are. Let me make a comment, and you take it away. Notice that the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Alex, perspective is everything, you know? And that's, that's why Psalm 33 is so important. The perspective of the psalm is looking, look what God has done. We need to do that. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, um, and I know this sounds simplistic. We say it so often, but count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Uh, just as praising God will lift your spirits, cultivating a, a, a perspective of gratitude. I want to tell you one of the most important things, and, and by the way, secular psychology says this, to just be of a grateful mindset. And you have to train yourself to do that. But, you know, behavioral habits can be established. Even habits of thought can be established. And if you catch yourself lapsing into, like, being negative and grumpy, I don't know better, you know, negative, (laughs) grumpy, unthankful, pray about that and let the Holy Spirit make you a, a grateful person. Because, Bert, a grateful person generally is a happy person. Haven't you met people like oh, that? Oh, man, I I do, and you want to be around people like that. I, I I said this Sunday at the church where I've been interim, First Baptist Church Baldwin here in northeast Mississippi, and I said, you know, I've been around long enough as pastor. When I see certain people coming, I know the only time they <laughs> want to talk to the pastor is when they got a complaint. And, you know, and I said, I they don't realize that when they got a legitimate complaint, They've already dug themselves such a deep hole that nobody will probably listen. So I said, Mm. be careful with your complaints, but be great with receiving. Notice verse 4 and 5. Alex, see if you see this. Notice, the word of the Lord is right. That's his word, and all his work is done. Therefore, he loves righteousness and justice. That's our walk. So it's his word, the work he's done results in a good walk of the Lord. Three W's there. I think I could preach that, brother. <laughs> I mean, it, that would preach. That that would preach. Well, uh, verse 5, of course, the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. You remember, he spoke it into existence. That's called ex nihilo. He created out of nothing. By his word, he called the universe into existence. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord, says verse 8. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And you know what, uh, Bert? All the earth, in one way or another, at one time or another, all the, the earth will fear the Lord, and all the inhabitants of the world will stand in awe of him. Now, some are not going to acknowledge Christ this side of heaven. But at the great white throne, all will acknowledge. But don't don't stand before God one day in a state of condemnation. Turn to the Lord today, and you'll forever be in a state of salvation. Amen. Um, you know, verse 9, he spoke and it was done. He commanded it stood fast. Now, 
I know we're coming up in a couple of minutes on a break, and we're going to get to a very famous and I think very uh, wise word here in a minute. But notice the connection, Bert, between God the Creator, God the Sovereign over history, righteousness and judgment, but also, ultimately, the judge of history. There, there's a connection. And some people, every now and then, Bert, somebody will say, well, you know, I accept what the Bible says about Jesus, but not what it says in Genesis. No, look, the Savior, the Sovereign, He is also the Creator. And, and this psalm alludes to all of those roles that God, that God has uh, fulfilled. It, it does, and each one of these is just bringing glory to the Lord. Again, in verse 5, notice the earth is full of his goodness. Uh, that's it. But then it goes down in verse 8, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Now, if you p- combine those together, the, the glory of God is declared uh, in the heavens. The glory and the power of God is declared in the seasons, the earth, as he has made it. The inhabitants respond. How are you responding here The psalmist says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Talking about the people of the earth, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And as Alex, you said, one day there is going to be that respect that is coming to him. You want to do it now. You don't want to wait to the great white throne judgment when judgment is poured out on you rather than you receiving what Christ did for us on the cross and taking our judgment. But Alex, it says it well. He spoke and it was done. Now, Hmm. I want to tell you, that's power, isn't it? He commanded and stood fast. Yes, that is the power of the Almighty God. Folks, this is Exploring the Word, Alex and Bert. Hope you'll stay tuned. We're going to continue in Psalm 33. Plus, take your calls. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Stacy Dean, Deputy Administrator for the Food and Nutrition Service. Her office works to increase nutrition assistance for struggling families and individuals. Genesis 9-3 reminds us of God's blessings of food. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. Right now with this in mind, let's pray. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Stacy Dean as she works to improve food and nutrition for more Americans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what it says in the Lord's Prayer. But what kind of diet is bread? Dr. Tony Evans says there must be a deeper meaning. He'll tell us what it is today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Now, I don't know how it is today, whether it's even used anymore, but when I was growing up, we called money bread. We say, hook me up with some bread. And that was a synonym for money. We call it bread. Money is a medium of exchange. You don't eat money. You don't build houses out of money. It's merely a medium of exchange for provision. You use money for the things money can buy. So it's a way to be provided for. So when Jesus says bread, 
he's talking about provision. That God wants us to look at him as provider of the necessities of life. Food, clothes, shelter. Those are the fundamental provisions. Those are the needs. Anything above that is a want. Nothing wrong with getting wants, but you must have needs being met for wants to be enjoyed. God says, I am the provider of bread, and I am the one who will make sure that what is needed is provided if I'm prioritized in the right place. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm feeding you so that you would come closer to me. I'm not just feeding you so you get food. Learn why prayer is intended to be two-way communication and how it can help you grow closer to Christ. Check out Tony's CD series, The Lord's Prayer, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Birdie and Alex with you. We're going to take phone calls in the last segment. That number, 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We'd love to hear from you and enjoy hearing from you. Alex, when you come to verses 10, 11, and 12 here in uh, Psalm 33, I, I really do believe it puts the world we live in in perspective. And let me say it right now. I want to read it with that in mind, with you looking at all the world, the situation in the world, uh, the wars, the rumors of wars, the possibility of wars, uh, the difficulties, the things gone wrong. Listen to this. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen as his own inheritance. Now, Alex, I think verse 10 and 12 are in contrast with one another. This is what the counsel of the nation brings. This is what the Lord brings. And if which one will you choose? The nation who chooses God, they are blessed, aren't they? They are. Oh my goodness, it's it could not be more clear. And the the heathen, the the purposes against God. You know, I was just reading today in the news how a group wants to uh, remove the Pledge of Allegiance and the prayer before city councils. This was in one American city, and they said, well, uh, the idea of pledge allegiance and acknowledging God and opening city council with prayer, that's divisive. And listen, uh, goodness gracious, um, it, it might be because there is truth and there is error. And uh, in Wisconsin, they're wanting to not acknowledge God in this particular locality. But the word of God is so clear that the counsel of the lost world and the nations are brought to nothing. He makes the devices or the schemes of a secular world to none effect. But the counsel of God stands forever. And Bert, let me just say in verse 11 of Psalm 33, the counsel of the Lord really means God's revelation. Now, God's got revelation on the page of Scripture, every page of the Bible, but also on every human heart. 
Everybody knows right from wrong. Look, and everybody knows about morality. I want to say this, folks. All the PhDs in all of the uh, think tanks in the world, deep in their soul, they know that a man can't become a woman. They know that women don't become men. They know that abortion is wrong. They know that uh, there is moral truth, but yet they, you know, try to legitimize. And we've got a world right now that's really reeling because they are putting their faith in the counsel and schemes of man. But verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of God's heart to all generations. That's why we can say blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But Bert, um, <laughs> take the flip side of that. If, if blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, well, the opposite of that is that, you know, un, unblessed and destitute is the nation who has turned from the Lord to some other God. And so it is imperative, folks. Look, um, there are, there are, there's always going to be atheists. There's always going to be people that fall into sin and invest their life in things that are false. But if we want our nation to last, we've got to do what our founders so wisely did. They, they built this country, our, our constitution, our laws. Bert, do you know every state constitution, 50 out of 50, acknowledge God in their state constitution? Yes. Uh, and, and Alex, We better not lose that. We better not. And I heard this, and I, I want to comment on it, and I want you to. You know, here it's easy to see, and the people whom he has chosen is his own inheritance. Now, again, uh, nation of Israel, he chose them, but other nations at some point in their time chose God, okay? Amen. Uh, uh, Let's just not talk about America for a minute. Let's talk about the United Kingdom, England. I mean, in the 1800s, in the late 1700s, God was using England in such a great way. The missionaries that were going into India, that were going into China, that were going across the world because the clarion ring of the gospel uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I mean, thousands were crowding in to hear this man proclaim the Word of God in power, and country preachers would wait to the, uh, the, the morning paper came out, or the evening paper came out, I should say, afternoon, because they would rush and get that paper, because guess what? It was printed word for word uh, in the newspaper, and they would buy it, and then they would take that and uh, they would go and they would preach it. That's what you get for preaching somebody else's material, but Spurgeon's was worth repeating. And so, in, and then in America, it, when we look at our founding documents, when you look at the Mayflower Compact, when you look at the Declaration of Independence and you see these, you see a nation that's choosing God. Now, was all of them saved? No, but many of them were. But they knew that the principles, the word, the counsel of the Lord, what he said was true. And so we, if we want to be blessed, we choose God. And now, let's do it one more time. The people of God are his church. Don't you mistake, uh, in, uh, America didn't replace Israel. That's not the idea that Alex and I are re- conveying to you. But bl- notice what blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's any nation that would follow the Lord, they will be blessed, Alex. So 
uh, right now in Africa and over in Europe, I hear about Hungary in Europe as they're going back and they're looking at the roots and uh, they're bringing up a lot of the things of godliness in their country and uh, they're being blessed by it. When we turn to Africa and we see some of those nations there that have turned to the Lord and really making God like Uganda, it went through a horrible time, but then they got new leadership and that leadership wanted to follow the Lord and they did things and that nation has been blessed because of that. Alex, that is a true statement. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Yeah, Amen. Israel, God chose Israel. But I pray that we in America and the, even those that are listening to this broadcast in other countries because of the podcast and it being international, choose God and choose him now. Yes. Well, and, and you know, you've heard me allude to this literally dozens of times, folks, but um, our religious freedom has been really morphed into the idea that there cannot be any moral boundaries. And because the First Amendment says Congress will make no law regarding the establishment of religion, nowadays if you talk about morals, people, because they're, they're very ignorant of our founding and of uh, what made, well, not only what was the philosophical foundation of our country for 240-plus years, but people are ignorant of, of how moral order made us strong and made us great. And so if you talk about morals, they'll say, well, you're establishing religion. No, religion and morality, they do overlap, but they're two different things. And what makes it so dangerous is that our um, present momentary quest to not really stand for anything objective, uh, it's it's really meant there are no moral boundaries. But Psalm 33 is very clear that God's truth is for all generations and that uh, I'm going to give you a word here from Psalm 33 in verse uh, 16 and following. Look, uh, money doesn't make a nation great. Uh, impressive buildings don't make a nation great. Armaments and military prowess doesn't make a nation great. Uh, a nation could have all of those things. But greatness, like Alexis de Tocqueville said uh, in the early 19th century in Democracy in America, you know, he said, I sought for the source of America's greatness, not in the halls of leadership, education. He said, not until I heard the pulpits aflame did I realize America's great because she's good. Now, here's the thing. Psalm 33, 16, there's no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. So, Bert, it says right here, um, a multitude of people, uh, physical strength, even a horse, which really in that day would have constituted military infrastructure. All of those things are okay, but that, that is not what saves you or makes you great. 18 through 22 will tell you what makes a person a family, a church, a nation, great. Fear the Lord and hope in his mercy and acknowledging his truth. Anything we've got, it will, Bert, has been said, and I'll throw it to you. A, a Christian is what they are on their knees and nothing more. In, in other words, look, anything you've got is due to Jesus. And you, you're on your knees in prayer. You're communing with the Savior. Look, we've got Jesus or we've got nothing. Amen, Alex. The whole idea here 
is coming from what he does in 13 when it says, the Lord looks from heaven. Again, he looks at the king who has the multitude of the army. He looks at the mighty man who has great strength. He looks at the country that has great armament. <laughs> he looks on it. He looks on it, and he sees all the men from the place of his inhabitation. He looks. The word is gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth. Now, notice this. He fashions their hearts individually, and it considers all their works. I could not help but look at that. He fashions their heart. Even in the midst of a king with a multitude of army and they're going evil, the strength of a nation and it going lawlessness, uh, having the armaments, but they are not following God, God looks out at individuals within that group that has a heart for God. He makes himself known unto them. Uh, I found that to be just awesome. And that's the reason, and I want to give you this, and we've referred to that I have a lot, and that is when Jericho, the walls of Jericho was falling, guess what? There was part of it that did not because there was this thread hung out of a window, a scarlet thread, mm -hmm. and that stood. Who was that? That was one woman, her name was Rahab, who knew the truth of God's power, and she knew and she helped and she was honored by it. In the midst of the destruction of Jericho, Rahab and those gathered in her apartment, her house, they withstood all the the the, the destruction. You see, I, I just look at that and I, I see how God operates. He looks upon the heart, like when they were looking for the new king that would replace Saul. Uh, Samuel had to tell Jesse, God's not impressed with your boy that's big, tall, and strong. He's not really impressed with that young man that has an eloquent tongue. He's not really impressed with that guy that's so strong he can bend <laughs> still. Now, he was impressed with a boy keeping the, the sheep who had a heart for God. And Amen. Alex, uh, I see that in this, what you just read in, in uh, 13 through 17. And uh, but, so the Lord does this great work collectively, mm -hmm. but praise the Lord when he can't do it collectively for a nation, guess what? He'll look that individual that's in that nation and he delivers them. It may be yeah. to heaven in these days, but they are delivered, aren't they? Exactly. Well, verse 18 says, the, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. You know, uh, again, we're looking at the old covenant in light of the new. In verse 19, we could see salvation and sustenance. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Okay, Bert, for just a minute, let's go back to verse 17. And folks, I want to ask you, what are you trusting in? says a horse is a vain thing for safety. The horse is really what you're trusting in. Bert, I was sharing the gospel with a young man. I guess he was in his very, very early 20s. And I was urging this uh, young man to come to the Lord, make sure you're saved. He said, I, hey, I got a lot of years ahead of me. I said, you don't know that. Hope you do. Hope all of us do. But you simply do not know. If you think your youth is what you're going to trust in, and I'll deal with God later. 
that that's a horse that will not deliver you. You say, well, I got a lot of money. I'm I'm healthy. I'm working. I'm I'm working a career. Listen, one day, I hope it doesn't happen to you, but your health can be gone. One doctor's visit can turn your world upside down. You know, Bert. Um, so all the God allows things, youth, accomplishments, finances, family, all those things are wonderful. And, and God, in his mercy, allows many good things to come into our lives. But we need to understand. Bert, I want you to comment on this and probably it'll take us out to the break. And by the way, folks, I want your calls. It's 888 We'll take your Bible questions. But I want to say this, Bert. The, in reality, the only constant that we've really got in this life is Jesus, isn't it? It is the only one. I've got to contrast. You know, I'm looking for repeated words. I'm looking for contrast. Look at verse 18 and then verse 22. Notice, in those who hope in his mercy, just as we hope in you. That's the only hope we have is in him. We do not put our hope in wealth. We do not put our hope in strength, our health. As you just said, Alex, our hope is in God and God alone. And that's what Alex and I desire for you to do. Put your hope in Christ, not in, not in the church, not, not in a tithing, not in listening to AFR and exploring the word. Put your hope in Christ and in Christ alone. It is that hope as you turn away from sin you turn to him, asking him to forgive you of your sin because he has authority to do it. He died that our sins could be forgiven. That's the hope we have in Christ. I pray that you know him. Hey, as Alex said, we're going to take phone calls, 888-589-8840. We would love to hear your Bible question today on Exploring the Word. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. Does it feel like our world is being shaken by COVID, inflation, war, and rising gas prices? Maybe God is trying to get our attention. The Bible describes a day in which all of creation will be shaken so that only unshakable things will remain. God wants us to realize the only security in life is in our relationship with Him. He's trying to tell us to turn from our wicked ways and follow Him. He can help us find peace in the storm. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. In churches, and a lot of churches today, the issue of identity is sort of like the big elephant in the room. It's in the news, but it's not in the church. So if it's in society, it needs to be something the churches are addressing. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality, is now available for church screenings and events. Every person in America needs to see this. And all pastors need to show this to the church, get the people informed. If the church and Jesus isn't the answer, where's the world going? We want the message of the film to touch as many hearts and lives as possible. And we'd love to join with you to bring the film to your community. So let's say you have a small group or your church, or we've even been bringing the film into some prisons. We want to partner 
there with you. So what we'll do is we'll send you a special kit and it's completely free and it'll just have some extra resources to help you promote your event. To find out more about how to host an event, go to inhisimage.movie and click on the host an event tab. That's inhisimage.movie. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to the CDC and the Guttmacher Institute, the number one reason women choose abortion is they're not ready for a child. The number two reason, they can't afford a baby. Number three, they don't want any more children. Number four, they don't want to be a single mother. Number five, not mature enough to raise a child. Number six, a baby would interfere with their education or career. Those reasons represent 95% of all abortions. Risk to the mother's physical health represent less than 4% of all abortions. And conception resulting from rape and incest represent less than 1% of all abortions. Abortion is used as birth control. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13 American Family Radio And the Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn And your grace rings out so deep It makes my resistance seem so thin So Jesus, cause I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been king of my glory. Won't you Hold be my prince? Hold me, Jesus. Well, praise God, he'll do that if we'll turn to him. Hi, Alex McFarlane, along with Bert Harper. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. And by the way, all the shows are archived at AFR.net. There's also an app that works on all mobile devices. And Bert, you know, it's always a blessing. I hear from people, just seems like at least once or twice a week, somebody will say, you know, six months ago, I had not heard of the American Family Radio Network. And now I listen to it all day long. And Goodness, there's news, there's all kind of good programming, but best of all, a biblical worldview, news and commentary and teaching you can trust. Our commitment is that all of us know the Word of God and live it and proclaim it to the world. And um, Bert, let me just say this, and folks, by the way, the number is 888-589-8840. Um, I'm doing some filling in in the mornings, 10 to 11 Eastern Time, that's 9 to 10 Central, uh, filling in uh, on AFR. And so all this week I'm on, if you want to tune in, and I'm doing some uh, biblical worldview and we're taking calls. So, uh, Bert, I've had the privilege over the last several weeks to be on morning and afternoon. I've heard you this morning, and I had the radio on, my wife did, and uh, before I got left, I, before I left, I heard. And so great job. Uh, congratulations. This coming Friday, I'll, uh, we have some people out of the office, and I'll be on Trivia Friday. That's who, where they, they put you on Worldview, and they put me on Learning University, Alex. Uh, so that's, uh, we all have to do double duty sometimes, but we're glad. Hey, let's, let's go to the phone calls. Let's go to Georgia and talk to A.W. A.W., welcome. Hey, Bert. Turn your book there to Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Father Placer. I got it. You want me to? I'll read it. 
I see I'll him. Yeah, I'll read it. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumut. Yeah, uh, Bert, I, you and uh, Alex, I wanted to ask you, we noted that star out of Jacob's Yeshua. Who is the Sion out of Israel? Okay. Mm-hmm. Alex, is it the same one? Yeah, listen, <laughs> who holds a scepter but a king? Isn't that something? And it, Daniel 2.48 says that Daniel was made governor over the wise men of Babylon, and people have wondered how did those those kings from the east know to come. Well, one of the verses, no doubt, that impressed them to make the trek to Bethlehem would have been Numbers 24.17. Uh, I, I believe this definitely references the Messiah, don't you, Bert? It is, and he is revealed in the Old Testament, and it was made clear. What Every time I read something like this, I can't help but think about the two on the road to Emmaus. And uh, they were walking along, and, and Jesus was walking. They didn't recognize him, but then uh, he started showing himself out of the Old Testament, and their hearts burned within them. And uh, he showed him. Wouldn't you love to have been in that Bible study? Uh, that had to be one of the best Bible studies that's ever been. And so we praise the Lord. Yes. Bobby had called, and uh, we want to tell Bobby to be careful, uh, take care of herself out there uh, somewhere on the Mississippi River. And we tell you, hello, Bobby. That's a note that we wanted to share with you. And be careful out there. We right now in Northeast Mississippi in this area. We're experiencing some difficulty in the storms, mm. so be careful. Hey, let's go to Tennessee and talk to Rita. Rita, welcome. Hi. Um, love you guys. I listen to you every day when I get off work, but I just have a quick question. A friend of mine, we discuss the Bible uh, pretty regularly every day at work, and we were talking about sin today, and she was giving me an example uh, about being being saved. And it said that her niece has married another woman, and there's no doubt in her mind that she knows that her niece is going to heaven because she was saved and baptized when she was younger. And I know y'all know where I'm going with this, but my belief is that um, I'm not judging nobody, but for myself, I just want to know, you have to turn away from your sin, and when you, once you repent, you've got to turn away from that and not go back to that. And she's not looking at it like that. So just a quick question, and y'all just give me an answer on that, just to satisfy me so I know what I know is right. And I thank you guys very much. Rita, thank you. Alex, I let me just tell you, we are getting lots of questions at word at AFR.net about homosexuality, about the people are can they be saved. Does the Bible explicitly condemn homosexuality? Well, Rita, I, I just want to tell you this. I, and I, I'm not taking it out. I'm stating the obvious first, and then we'll go from there. God knows the heart. Uh, the Bible talks about they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. In other words, there's people that declare certain things, but yet the reality of it is not true. Speaking it is not necessarily true. God's going to do that. God takes care of that. God does judge that. And the other question, Alex, is we've been getting, does the Bible explicitly, especially they say in the New Testament, condemn homosexuality? Here's, let me make another statement. I'll turn it back over to you. 
it condemns that sin as well as many other sins, you know? And why is homosexuality such an issue today? It's because it is being elevated. Homosexuality is being elevated uh, as a lifestyle. Transgenderism is being elevated as something to be proud of rather than the sin that it is to avoid. Go ahead, Alex. Hey, and and by the way, let me encourage people to study the Bible. Uh, You know, it's funny— there are the most major search engines, um, the analytics and the way the search engines operate, they try, if you try to Google, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Now, you could Google just about anything. Uh, what does the Bible say about slavery? Or what does the Bible say about alcohol abuse? Or what does the Bible say about, you know, um, anything? And you'll get good, accurate results. The search engines, unless you're very diligent, the search engines now are programmed to not show that, yes, yes, the Bible absolutely 1,000% does condemn all homosexual activity. Now, I want to be clear, Bert, the Bible also condemns heterosexual promiscuity. But I want to say this, sex in the eyes of God uh, is forbidden except in one context— and that is a marriage between a man and a woman. And I would encourage people, there's so many scriptures we could give, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let, let me just say, you have to repent from sin in order to be saved. And if you don't believe that what you're doing is sin, you're not going to repent from it. Bert, and, and again, God loves people caught up in any kind of sin. Liars, murderers, thieves, adulterers, porn addicts, drug abusers, homosexual, transgender. Look, any of the, the besetting sins, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, God, as Billy Graham said, God will forgive any sin, but God will overlook no sin. So for the person who says, you know, I'm, I'm a practicing homosexual, but I'm a born-again believer, they're deceived. And, and there's a, a read Matthew seven twenty four. And 1 Corinthians 6 is a very sad thing for those that think they can be saved in sin. God will save you from sin, but God won't save you in unrepentant sin. Let me put it one more way. God saves us from sin, not a license to sin. And uh, that that's not it. Uh, repent. Turn to God. Now, you may have a bent. And that bent may have come at a certain time in your life because certain things happened, uh, because of personality quirks that you might have. But I want to tell you, just because I have a bent towards something does not justify me saying I was born that way or that's the way it is or God accepts me. No, I turn and I turn to God. In order to turn to God, you got to turn from. And uh, so, Rita, uh Listen, God is the one that takes care of that. I don't, but I'd say you're standing on solid ground when you say, listen, God does not justify your sin. He wants to deliver you from that sin, and according to God's word, it is sin, and then you have to leave it to the Holy Spirit and to that individual. So, Rita, Mm -hmm. thank you for your call. Let's go to Kentucky and talk to Brandon. Brandon, welcome. Hey, it's good to listen to you guys. I have an hour and a half drive home every day, so it's always good to listen to you guys. 
Well, amen. Um, Hour and a half. Listen, three hours on the road every day. Yes, sir. Wow, Brandon. Kept on. Aren't you glad AFR is there? Yeah, be safe, man. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah. Into that. No, I just had just something that um, I wanted to ask you guys, just your thoughts. Did an interesting Bible study one time about the scripture with when the Roman soldiers had cast lots for uh, Jesus's um, his cloak or his tunic, and I was studying that. And not only was it you know a fulfillment of prophecy, but I call it one of those golden nuggets of God's truth. You kind of you got to read beyond just what it says on the page. And I got to thinking about that tunic and why did why what was so special about this tunic that the Roman soldiers cast lots for it said that you know it was woven in one piece without seams i got to thinking about that and you know woven in one piece i did some study and i I read that those kind of uh, clothes were only worn by royalty and second of all that tunic had no signs of weakness you know it had no seams so if you were to tear it it wouldn't tear at the seams and I thought how indicative of Jesus that he wore something that, you know, he had no weaknesses. And um, I also wondered what, what you guys thought about that and what, where did he get that? You know, he was the son of a carpenter. He was poor. You know, where did he get something that was mostly worn by royalty? And, it's, and there's no real answer for that. I just thought it was a neat study. I just <laughs> wondered what your guys' thoughts were. Thank you, Brandon. I, yeah, I I knew about the seams. I had not heard royalty now, Alex, you may have, but that of no seams in it. And, and they knew the soldiers knew if they tore it, it wouldn't be useful, you know, because there was no seams and, uh, and no weakness in Jesus. That's not, that's, that's a good parallel, Brandon. What about the royalty, Alex? Had you heard that as well? Um, I've not heard that, but you know, uh, they they were casting lots, and that is fulfillment of prophecy. You know, this is in Matthew twenty seven thirty five, and they were gambling for Jesus's clothes. I mean, just isn't it how demoralizing to be crucified and just the very last thing that anybody would would have? They were going to gamble for it. But you know what? After Jesus was, died on the cross, it says that the the women came to prepare his body for burial. Uh, you know, Joseph of Arimathea had gone to Pilate to request Jesus' body, and uh, uh, Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, brought spices to prepare the body for burial. This is in John chapter 19, and they talk about Mark Mark 16 and John 19. I don't know where Jesus got that garment, but no doubt some of his followers had helped provide it. Wouldn't you probably I would, agree? That's with, the first thing that came into my mind. Brandon, that 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 would what was happening because uh, there was people following him and that would be the case. Okay, uh, thank you, Brandon. Let's go to Mike in Tennessee, or Gammy in North Carolina. Excuse me, Gammy, welcome. Hello, thank you for taking my call. Quick question for you guys: um, Reading Daniel chapter eleven, verse thirty-seven. Um, can you please tell me what? Is going on there, and who is that person talking about? Who's Daniel talking about there? 
Okay. Let me read 36 and 37. Don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. Now the verse 37. He shall regard neither the god of his fathers nor the desire of women nor regard of any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Alex? It really sounds a little bit like Lucifer uh, wanting to be like and above the most high throne of God, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. You know, Daniel, uh, there's a lot in Daniel. In fact, I would encourage people to read Daniel, uh, well, 2, 7, and 9. But this king who exalts himself of Daniel 11 is almost universally thought to be the Antichrist that would come. And what's interesting, 36 and 37, when it says... Um, he will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors. Well, does that mean that the Antichrist might be part Jewish, the god of his fathers, or for the desire of women? All right, uh, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Um, some have theorized that the Antichrist, and read 1 John two fifteen through 22, it's talking about the denial of the deity of Jesus, the, the Antichrist, at least in his ethnicity, might be part Jewish because he's going to be the false messiah, at least in his orientation and behavior, might be gay or bisexual. Um, he's not desired by women, doesn't desire women himself. And uh, let me just say, Obert, once I was sharing this on a show and callers got so mad, but we're, we're at that time when people... Um, religious and moral boundaries, people disregard them anymore. And certainly the Antichrist will do just that. Okay, Gammy, thank you for your call. And listen, what we need to be is sharing the truth of the real Christ, Jesus as Lord. Alex, it's been good to be with you. We're going to take up another psalm tomorrow, and we're going to look at it and let God guide us. It sure has been a blessing, these two that we've done, these two. Psalm 2. Mm -hmm. Look at that podcast. Yesterday was a real special day. And then today, Psalm 33. So thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. Alex, it's been good to be with you. And we want to invite everybody else to tune in tomorrow and listen to Exploring the Word. Tell them about it. But more importantly, tell them about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.